Genesis 28. He's about to flee to Paran. I probably mispronounced that. Quigley, how old? Give me a guess. 12? No, what? No, no, no. You have three seconds left. 75. 75. 76. 17. 16. 68. 65. 62. You guys are so godly. I always thought he was like in his 20s. But. What did you say? 75. Interesting. And you said what? 76. What do I have in my notes? 77. Thank you, Tim. However, Tim, we are to be honest people. There's some commentators that would say 72, and then you'd both be off. But I can't really be dogmatic and say 77. So the fact that you're in the 70s, I'm going to give this as well. Thank you very much. Sit down. For you four, just realize you did not win. In this world where everyone thinks they win, today was not a day where everyone won. Okay. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 28. Um, Again, maybe you guys, well, I know a lot of you are a lot smarter than me, but... Um, again, sometimes with these Sunday school pictures we grow up with, we think that Jacob's like really, really young. Okay? In Genesis 28, he's in his 70s. He's in his 70s. Okay, yes, absolutely. Very young. Very young. Thank you. Okay? <laughs> so, um, I just want to have that picture in our minds as we talk today, uh, what he's about to do. We had a great message last week. Again, um, sad in some ways, right, of trickery and deceit. How many of you this week um, heard a conversation and brought up the word deceit? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because we actually deceive ourselves a lot um, in our conversations sometimes. But I'm going to read the first five verses here, maybe the first eight in Genesis chapter 28, and then we'll ask the Lord's blessing. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you were a stranger which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob, and Esau. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take himself a wife there. And then as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padan Aram. Also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abram's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife in addition to the wives that he had. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, thank you for um, your word. Thank you for being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and also being the God of us, that uh, we could put our name in there, that 
You are truly a God that shows no favoritism. And so as we look at uh, these patriarchs, uh, the idea that we have all the blessings of Abraham spiritually through you uh, is not something we should take lightly. And so thank you. May you uh, encourage us during this time. May your spirit do a mighty work. May uh, we hear a word from you even if we don't want to. Be honored and glorified above all. In your name, amen. It's pretty interesting. Jacob's getting another blessing. Okay, Isaac's calling him over, and this blessing's a little different um, than the other one that he was tricked into. And I just wanted to focus a little bit here on verse 3. It says, May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you might be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit a land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. This is that blessing. We're going to make you into a mighty nation. But that word there, may God Almighty, was used once before in Genesis 17. It was introduced to us in the Bible when God was talking to Abraham. It is the word for El Shaddai. If you never heard the word El Shaddai, it's one of God's names. Okay, it means the mighty, sufficient one. And I'm going to read what one commentator wrote, because again, their words are a lot better than mine. It says, this compound name of God is compromised of the singular El from the name Elohim, a name that was used of God as the all-powerful creator, who in Genesis 1 formed the worlds out of nothing but his mere command. The second part of the compound name, Shaddai, comes from the Hebrew word for breast and is used to picture a nursing mother who has plenty supply of milk to meet the hunger of her child. The composite portrait painted by this name is an image of a God who has both the power and sufficiency to meet the needs of his people. So not only does he have the power to make them into a great nation, he will be all sufficient in the way he's going to go about doing it. And this is what he says, may God Almighty. Now, again, it's interesting, Isaac, where did he learn this name from? From his father. For when God said this to Abraham. And so, again, generationally, he's passing down what they know of God to their children. Another great practical application. Okay? When I think about the word El Shaddai, it's interesting. The mighty, sufficient one. The one that is all-powerful and yet completely full of resources. What is the point? To accomplish that which he wants to do in your life. So again, remember this, this promise um, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is not conditional. God is saying, you are going to become a nation. And, and we have seen that over the weeks here at Brantford, that a lot of human nature and a lot of sin has messed up the, quote, original plan, but it's still going to come to fruition. It's still going to happen. And Jacob will turn into the father of the 12 tribes and et cetera. And Israel's about to be born, so to speak, as we keep reading. But the mighty, sufficient one, not only am I powerful enough to do it, I have all the supplies I need to give to you. All the supplies I need. I was in my basement for years, and if you go to the unfinished side of my basement and you flick on the switch, it only turns on one light bulb. And then there is light bulbs at the back end of the unfinished side that had the little strings that you have to pull down. 
And I told myself for years, I'm going to run the electrical so that when I flip the switch, the lights just all come on because I was probably tired of tripping in the dark at night and my kids were too scared to go to that crazy side of the basement at night in the dark. But of course, I just never ran the electrical. <laughs> I thought that's way too much. So I believe I was talking to Ed Bermudez, right? Where's Ed? Let's see. He went home. He went home. Ed, you're the one that told me, right, about the motion sensor sockets. Motion sensor sockets. I said, Ed, what are you talking about? He's like, just get a motion sensor socket so when you walk in, the light will go on. I almost kissed him. Yes, Brian, I believe you talked about it too. They probably both talked to me because they were probably tired of me hearing I was going to run wire and never did. But the point is this, in my basement right now, when you walk on that unfinished side, there is a light bulb that's hooked up to a motion sensor. It has all the power it needs. In fact, it's constantly hooked up to the power. And in fact, as you walk in, the light goes on. It's all sufficient in doing what it's supposed to do, which is shine light in a dark place. However, the light will only go on when you walk near it. I think this is a perfect example of when we call our God El Shaddai, the one who is mighty and sufficient. And yet sometimes we have this walk of life where we feel like he's not sufficient or he's not powerful or things aren't happening Trust me, the power's there. Sufficiency is there. We just have to walk near the light. My lights in the basement will not come on unless someone walks through the door. When I think about Jacob and Esau, they both have... Uh, made horrible mistakes in the last couple of weeks that we have studied them. They have both not been the brightest bulbs to uh, look after. There has been a lot of just wayward thinking and just plain sin. However, Jacob still has this lifestyle where it would seem like he is concerned of the things of the Lord. And Esau is just simply not. I am one that has been saying, and, and I, the reason I'm saying this to myself is, I'm tired of me and Christians thinking that Christianity is somehow still based on some kind of work or, or do this or some kind of check-in box and not a lifestyle. Our faith has to be a lifestyle. We don't get extra brownie points for doing VBS this week. You just don't. You don't get extra brownie points for buying your child a nice little colorful Bible picture book when they're little. It's a lifestyle that has to be lived out and seen by those and their struggles and all that. But there's a constant commitment. There's a constant in your forefront of your mind. I have to walk with him. Or I have no power, no sufficiency. And so as we look at this, I want to again see 
what was mentioned of Esau here in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 12, it says, Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down in feeble knees. If I could give you a quick summarization of what's happening before, it's talking about enduring chastening, enduring discipline. Life will be tough. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down in the feeble knees and make straight paths through your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Again, I want you to keep thinking in your mind this word lifestyle faith. You're making straight paths because you already get banged up in this spiritual walk and you want the path to be clear so that you don't trip up and get hurt worse. You're looking ahead. You're committed to something. That's why I wanted the lights in the basement. I was tired of tripping over stuff. It was in the dark. Verse 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Great evangelism verse, by the way. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Profane is what the Bible would call him. Not one caring about biblical things. Fornicator. Ready for one morsel of food selling his birthright. I was discussed last week. Esau did not have a lifestyle of pursuing the Lord. Why am I saying this whole thing? Because in the next couple of verses, you're going to see his heart again. And why is it right now that Isaac with Jacob is about to send him on a way? Why at this point is he saying, hey, let me charge you with this. And this blessing where you'll become a nation and, and God has already lined all this up for the family. What is he going to charge him to do? Stop being deceitful? No, that would have been a great line. Okay, you know, read your Bible every day, pursue the Lord. One of the things he's charging him to do is you better watch out who you marry. You better watch out who you marry. Now, why? I would, again, love to talk about the whole marriage piece of this, but I'm not really going to. And the idea that marriage is all about lifestyle. This is why you cannot be unequally yoked. And the Bible talks about women actually turning the hearts of their husbands and Maybe vice versa. It is impossible to say, I'm going to live for the Lord. I'm going to do this. I'm going to raise this family under godly principles when you're living with a non-Christian. Again, it's not that there's no forgiveness or any of that. Okay? So if that's happened to you or, or you married the wrong person, you think, whatever. It doesn't matter. You still have obedience to do as unto the Lord. I'm just talking about in this, one of the charges here is make sure you're not marrying one of those other women. Because if your lifestyle is to pursue El Shaddai, and they have no idea who he is, that's not going to work. And so it goes beyond marriage. In our lifestyle, the things that are very close to us, the very things that are important to us, 
okay? In your faith, your secular employment matters. Why? It's going to affect a lot of things. Your time that you can spend in church, your money to be able to provide for stress, not stress, things like that. Your spouse, extremely important. Your ministries, extremely important in your lifestyle of faith. It is not a lifestyle where suddenly I donate $200 because I was moved by this certain ministry and then somehow I'm okay with God. It's just not the way it works. And so many times we want to focus on all these aspects of the faith outside of just lifestyle commitment. I'm in. I'm all in. Look at what Jacob, I mean Esau does. In verse 8 and 9. Also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael. Okay, Abraham's son, sister of Nebuchadnezzar. He's literally trying to get some more blessing. And he thinks he's hearing this charge from his dad. He goes, oh, if I go get one of these wives, maybe I can get some more blessing. Maybe that will look good on paper. That's basically what he's saying. And I'm just, there, there's so many in the church today that are doing actions to somehow look good on paper. And you know what the problem is? is typically, now again, I can't judge anyone's heart, but typically what he's actually doing is amazing. He is actually lining himself up, which he thinks is family. But remember, Ishmael is not the son of promise. He is lining them up with a family that God has said they will not be a part of this blessing. They will not be a part of this blessing. The promised seed, Isaac, that's where this family will come from. And so now his son Esau is going to go back to this son that has been cast out and think because they got some kind of familiarity, some kind of good name, he's going to win daddy's favor. He doesn't have faith. He just wants to try the right thing here and the right thing there. I want us to be a people that even if we struggle every single step of the way in our faith, it's real. It's real commitment. So that we go to God Asking, should we do this career or that career? Should I marry this spouse or not this spouse? How do I raise the next generation so that they look like you? And I'm teaching them who you are. What do I do when I become a part of a church? God, what is my calling in that church? How does church work? This is my life. It's not just a part of it. We have seen the effects over the last couple of weeks of characters in this Bible, foundational truths, the difference between those who have made mistakes and yet kept pursuing the Lord and those who just continually made mistakes and never got right with him. And the sad story is it happens all the time today. Jacob goes on 
And I feel like the next portion here is where we might say Jacob is actually going to make his faith his own. He has heard since he was a little one the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. Now he's going to become the God of Jacob. He's going to personalize it. And I have to tell you again, as I've um, seen in these fun stories, sometimes you miss the sadness. If he's in his 70s and he's really personalizing it now, that's late. And there's God's mercy and God's going to have a plan with him and all that stuff. But it, it's not the standard, guys. It's not the standard. Grandpa Abraham died when he was 15. He got time to hang out with Abraham. He had time to hang out with his dad, Isaac, all these things. He was kind of always interested in spiritual things, if you look around, the way to describe the difference between Esau and Jacob. But it seems like he's not going to really personalize his faith until he's in his 70s. The flip side of that is there's always hope. If you're in your young 70s, and you've still not ever personalized it really, you can do it today. I would like to kind of skip down to verse 17, I mean 16. Jacob has this encounter with God, and in 16 it says, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. What is it that as we try to pursue the Lord, there are times where we don't even realize the Lord is right there with us? It happens a lot. When I was younger, my brother and I uh, would sometimes be watching TV, and my cousin Rick would come sit down next to us and watch the show with us and we wouldn't even know he was there probably because we were so entertained by the tv but i remember one time it was so funny the show ended my brother and i kind of like turned to each other saw rick kind of got like what are you doing here and he laughed he goes you guys cannot be serious i've been here the whole show half an hour sat there and watched the whole thing with you and he, my brother and I had absolutely no idea he was there. Now, we know the Bible verses. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And yet somehow there are times where, again, we do not feel like God is there. We have no idea where he went, so to speak. Even though we know in our minds that's not true, it's kind of how we feel. So let's now read this whole portion here, verses 10 through 18. It says, Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night, because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he laid down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed." 
Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. I would like to again refresh our minds why Jacob didn't know God was there. What was it that he didn't know he was there? One of the things I think was simply that Jacob was far away from his familiar surroundings. He's in a place where he's all alone. He's in a place where he realizes he just deceived his father. He's in a place where his brother wants to kill him. He's in his place where mom, even though it seems they have a good relationship, he's now leaving her as well. He's in unfamiliar territory. So if he's in a place where everything seems unfamiliar, why would God be there? And I think it's sad that a lot of times I feel the same way. And I feel like I've mentioned this a few times, and I think I'm going to continue to mention it, maybe just to preach to myself. But when your surroundings change, do you somehow feel like God left? When things aren't the way you expected them to be or even have not been the same way they have been in the last couple of years, did God suddenly leave? Now, it sounds probably different from the pulpit. But a lot of us, even right now, it is interesting. I can look at Pride Month, whatever it's called, and see just a lot of crazy stuff going on out in the secular world. And I think, I might not say it in my mind, but I might sit there and go, wow, like God's gone. Like it's just going to get worse and worse. And it's not true, (laughs) but that might be how I feel. I've gone to certain churches uh, after COVID that have dwindled down. Um, Don't have a lot of members in them anymore. And again, I don't say it in my mind, but I kind of have feelings of God's not working here anymore. Do we only see God when everything is lined up correctly? The church looks like it should. My family looks like it should. Even the country looks like I think it should. Do these things shake our faith so much that we forget that God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you? It will be scary to be where Jacob is, alone in the wilderness, running for his life. Scary place. Why would he know that God's there? Well, again, I hope that's not our thoughts. (laughs) I hope we realize the presence of God. Sometimes the only way we recognize that God is there is a direct word from him, by the way. And that's what Jacob gets. He gets to hear the audible voice 
of the God of his fathers. In verse 15, God says to him, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. The answer is always the word of God. If you feel like God is aloof, if you have no idea how your faith works, if things just don't seem to be going the way you plan them out or think they should be going, we are to go hear a word from the Lord. As we said before, if you are, taught, if you are struggling spiritually, the last thing you want to do is stop going to church. You want to go to more Bible studies and conferences and, and hit up churches every day you can. The last thing you want to do is take yourself out from hearing the word of God over and over and over and over again. I want to show you what God says to him that maybe solidifies his faith because it applies to us. One, I am with you. The presence of God is a very powerful thing. We've mentioned before, I think one of the interesting things is actually trying to have a mindset where we realize we are coming into the presence of God every Sunday morning. And all of that entails that when you in the quietness of your own home, wherever you are, and you open up your Bible and you want a time to pray, you are going before the King of Kings. We don't take that lightly. We don't take it for granted. And we also take it as a place where we belong. We belong there. The very presence of God. The next thing that's going to solidify his faith. God says to him, I will keep you wherever you go. The protection of God. Promises Jacob, I will protect you. I will keep you. Now, why is this so important? Again, his brother's coming to kill him. His brother's coming to kill him. He's got a real death threat on his hands. Ain't no cops around, by the way. Esau meets up with Jacob alone in the wilderness. Mm, there's going to be a fight. No one's going to stop it. Okay? Outside of that, while he's alone on this path, there's wild animals. There's robbers. He's got a far journey to where he's going. Doesn't seem like he's got a lot of protection. I want us to remember that God is always in the business of protecting us. And usually it's us that go outside of his standards or limits is when we seem to be attacked. But I want you to remember that he's always there. There was a story of the early American Indians who had a unique practice of training their young braves. On the night of a boy's 13th birthday, after learning hunting and scouting and fishing, he was put to one final test. He was placed in a dense forest to spend the entire night alone. Until then, he had never been away from the security of the family and the tribe, but on this night, he was blindfolded and taken several miles away. When he took off the blindfold, he was in the middle of thick woods and was terrified. Every time a twig snapped, he visualized a wild animal ready to pounce. 
And after what seemed like an eternity, dawn finally breaks, and the first rays of sunlight enter the interior of the forest. Looking around, he would see flowers and trees in the outline of a path. And then to his utter astonishment, he beheld the figure of a man standing just a few feet away, armed with a bow and arrow. It was his father. He'd been there all night long. The Lord has said over and over, Oh, how I'd love to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. In Psalm 91, it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Lord shall abide under the shadow of his almighty wings. Again, there is protection, but as we go back to the light bulb scenario, we have to be walking close. We have to stay close. And one of the saddest verses is right there when Jesus says, but you were not willing. I wanted to protect you. I wanted to hold you. I wanted to, I'll take everything. I'll take the hit. You just stay under my wings. But you were not willing. Not willing. There's also the placement of God. Behold, I'm with you. We'll keep you wherever you go, and we'll bring you back to this land. I want you to think about what this means to Jacob. I'm going to bring you back. Jacob might not even know the way <laughs> to get back. Okay? And back, he's got to face a brother that wants to kill him. He's got to face that. He's got to face court his past of all his deceit. But God is willing to place him right where he started. And I'm going to bring you back. A lot of times, for some reason, God wants us to just face those things in our lives. So that he can continue to use us and remember that he has a plan for us. He's had a plan for Jacob since he was born. And the plan is continuing to go on. Even though Jacob's been deceitful and Isaac and Rebekah might not have been the best parents and Esau has been profane, the plan is going to go on. And that's why we as believers can commit to this lifestyle of Christianity because the plan will continue to go on even when we mess it up. And if God needs to bring us back to a certain point where we were close to him or bring us back to something that we have to deal with and confess, that's what he's going to do. Finally, you get the promise of God. I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Remember in Philippians it says, being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on until the compl on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Being confident in this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, these are one of those verses that I'm, a, I, again, I know what it says mentally. I'm supposed to trust it. I believe it. Uh, but there's times where I go, Really? Like, what happens if someone's so carnal? What happens if they just get saved and then they just completely forget about you? You'll still carry out the work you began until the day it's completed. That is the great hope of every single believer. 
He who has this hope in himself purifies himself. You will be sanctified completely one day regardless of what you do. Jacob had to make it personal with his God. He had a lifestyle of trying to pursue the things of the Lord, even though he made mistakes. There was an action that we have seen throughout all this book of Genesis of people and their faith. So as we talk about lifestyle Christianity today, I want to challenge us because it's our last um, week in Genesis, so to speak. What lifestyle changes have you or will you make after going through these foundational truths for the last couple months? I'm not going to summarize everything. That's a lot. But I wrote a few things down. I remember things like that I've learned in the past couple months, again, maybe a deepening how sin has ruined everything. We talked about how important it was to pray for our wives. That we don't try to make God's plans work in our own flesh. How God fused sin to the point where he flooded the earth. God's faithfulness amongst our mistakes. God's jealousy towards us. How bad family deceit is. The importance of a godly spouse. When God calls us, he doesn't always give us a clear path like Abraham, but simply tells us to go. God's mercy as seen to Hagar. What are you applying after months of being fed so that your lifestyle changes? What nugget, what story, what chapter have you made definitive decisions saying my life needs to change because I was taught this? There's so many things that we have wrapped our minds around over these last couple months in Genesis, and there's so many mistakes we have seen made, and yet we would sometimes be on the same path, and we're just reading it like it's stories. Instead of saying, I will not do this anymore. I have to change my life. We have got to change. We cannot sit here any longer and just hear great stories and say they're nice messages. Because we look more like Esau than Jacob if we do that. Just remember how it turned out for these guys. Remember how it turns out for all these people that we have read about. And pursue the things that make for your own peace and joy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you um, for the book of Genesis. Uh, it seems funny. We should be thanking you for your whole Bible. But yet, even in this time, Lord, thank you for the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
And uh, thank you that you didn't shield us from their mistakes, um, that you showed yourself strong. Oh, Lord, thank you that you are our El Shaddai. I sometimes would pray or hope that you would be our El Shaddai, and yet that would be the wrong perspective. You are El Shaddai. And the prayer should be that we would walk closely to you, that we might have everything you desire to give to us. Thank you that you are all sufficient. Thank you that the problems and struggles in this room are not hard for you to fix. They might be hard for us. They might be extremely difficult. But for you, El Shaddai, you are mighty and all-sufficient. Help us, Lord, to just personalize our faith. In your name, amen.